Good morning, everyone. There is more coffee, more cups. If anyone wants coffee, please help yourself. I'm not sure what Yochevet wrote on the WhatsApp group the, yesterday, but <laughs> thrilled to see such a great crowd. We have enough chairs? So grab some coffee. Um, I want to thank Avigail Alpern, who's sponsoring this morning's learning in memory of her beloved daughter, Rachel Rachel Leah Bas Avigail. V'chaim, Neshama should have an Aliyah. And a reminder, you can sponsor the class uh, weekly if anyone wants to sponsor it for the year. Someone just uh, pledged to sponsor the Cup of Joe on Wednesday mornings for the year. But uh, either by the week or for the year, please feel free to speak to me or to, to Linda. We continue with our learning of Slanam Rebbe on Ubo Tidbak. We're learning the section about Dvekas, how we can cling to and feel connected to and stick with Hashem. That's really the theme of Emuna and Bitachon, our support group on Wednesday mornings that we're all growing in our uh, sense of Emuna and Bitachon. So last year we defined those terms, what is Emuna, what is Bitachon, and now we're talking about Dvekas. Again, the root of the word Dvekas, Dalet Bey's Kuf, Devek, is glue. Hashem says, stick with me. First of all, let me acknowledge we have a bunch of new faces. It's wonderful to have new people here. So afterwards... Please make sure to welcome, introduce yourself. We have some, some people who are here for the first time, part of our community for the first time. So please make sure everyone feels uh, warm and welcome. Can you just give us those definitions quickly? Okay, quickly the definitions, sure. Amuna is theological. Amuna is the, I don't want to say even belief, it's the knowledge that there is one God, that God is the source of everything, that He is the Creator. Amuna is what we celebrate of Avram Avinu this week, that he lived in a world of paganism, and despite that, Avram discovered God. A little secret, if you look at the Rambam, Avram did not discover God. Shem ben Noach, Noach's son Shem, had an entire yeshiva. We call it yeshiva Shem ve'ever. Right? Yaakov studied there. Yeshiva Shem ve'ever. Who was Aver? Who was Aver? Let's not get too, we're going to get too uh, distracted here. But he had an entire yeshiva where he was teaching about God. He's teaching about Hashem. Avram's not the first to discover God. Adam talks to God. Noah offers a carbon to God. Aver has a whole yeshiva for God. So what's different about Avram? Why do we call Avram the father of ethical monotheism? What's different about, about Avram? And the Rambam is very clear. The difference is everyone else keeps God to themselves. Whereas Avram stands on a soapbox. Avram preaches and teaches and tries to inspire the entire world. He's trying to tell the whole world, enough with pursuing your own ego, your own interests, your own pleasure, your own happiness. Understand there's something bigger than you out there. There's something greater than us out there. And that's ultimately the greatest source of fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness is when you tap into that which is much greater. Avram is not the first to discover Hashem. He's the first to promote Hashem. And just as an aside, yesterday in the Parsha class we talked about when Hashem talks to Avram at the end of the Parsha, he calls himself Kel Shaddai, Shin Dalad Yud. And uh, one of the ideas Rabbi Salvechik writes in his Chumash is, Dai comes from Dayecha. Enough, Avram. He tells him, your original mission was to preach to the entire world. You were on XM Satellite Radio, you had your own Avram channel of monotheism, you're trying to teach the whole world. You know what? You made an amazing inroads, you've planted the seeds of monotheism, which today covers the planet with billions of people, and uh, incredible. But now, Dayecha. Now, it's trying to narrow your focus. Now you're going to have a child, and through him you're going to create a family and a nation, and they're going to be a microcosm for the world. So I am God, Keel Shakai, Shin Dalad Yud, Dai, as in Dayecha. It's enough. 
Enough with trying to change the whole world. Now I want you to retreat and narrow the focus just on your children, just on your people. Emunah is what Avram was preaching and promoting. Emunah is that it's not the sun and the moon. It's certainly not statues and, and idols. It's not money. It's not celebrities. It's not athletes that run the world. There's only one source in the world, and that is the Ribbon Shalom. So Emunah, Imun, faith, right? Amen is, uh, is all the same root. The notion that, that we know theologically, philosophically, we understand and we're mindful of there is one God, He is the source of everything. Bitachon is now putting our trust in Him. So Bitachon is that when I'm nervous, anxious, when I seek revenge, when I'm jealous or envious, getting rid of all those emotions because I realize I have Bitachon. Whatever happens is meant to be. The Chazanish defined, we went through the Chazanishes. Emunah and Bitachon. And the Chazanish defined, Emunah is knowing that there's one God and He's in charge, and Bitachon is therefore realizing that everything He does is for the best. Right? The Chazanish defined that it's a misconception. Some people think Bitachon is, you know, my loved one is terribly sick, I have Bitachon, Hashem's going to make them better. I, don't, I have no idea how to pay my mortgage, I have Bitachon, Hashem is going to, money's going to be at my front doorstep. I have bitachon that even though it's 4 nothing in the ninth inning, the Yankees are going to come back in game seven. Right? That is misplaced, certainly in the last example, that is terribly misplaced bitachon. Chazanish says that is putting yourself, not God, at the center. That means you basically think that you run the world, you have the, the omnipotent view of how the world should run, and now you want God to conform to how you think the world should run. So I have bitachon that God's going to orchestrate things the way I want. That's not bitachon. That's not trust in Hashem. That's putting your faith and trust in yourself and asking Hashem to conform to what you want. Says the Chazanish, Bitachon is saying, you know what? I'm doing everything I can and I know how I want this to turn out. But beyond my effort and doing everything I can, whatever is going to be is meant to be. Whatever happens is for the best. Bitachon is living a life with Ein Od Milvado. Living that life with that mindset, the Ein Od Milvado. There is nothing in the world but Him. And therefore... If the flight's delayed, therefore if I'm sitting in traffic, therefore if I, whatever challenge or struggle, small or big, that we go through on a daily basis, ain't od milvado, it's meant to be, it's from Hashem. And that's what we talked about last week in the drasha. The mabul makes us all mivubal. That's what Rabbi Melech Biderman in his Be'era uh, Torah explains. He says, what the generation of the mabul was all mivubal. The root of the word mabul is bilbul. It's all confused and mixed up and out of sorts and bent out of shape. They were a generation that the littlest thing made them fly off the handle. Anger, rage, impatience, jealousy, anger, revenge. A bilbul, a life of just confusion, a life of being off your game. In the middle of that generation is Noah. And why does God choose him? Where does his chain come from? Says the Sefer Hasidim, his, his, his chen comes from, he is binoach. The word noach means, he's noach, he's serene, he's tranquil, he has an equanimity to him, he's very level-headed, he just, he just is able to go with the flow. He rolls with the punches, he goes with the flow, he doesn't ever get knocked off his game, he's binoach. The way to survive a mabul, the way to survive a world which is trying to suck us in, to get bent out of shape and fly off the handle and lose the pool, is to be, bless you, is to be Benoach. And when you're Benoach, you have chen. Everyone wants to be around somebody who's Benoach. You don't want to be around the volatile person who you don't know what you're going to get. 
You don't want to be around the volatile person who's going to fly off the handle, who's going to, there's drama. Nobody wants drama. Chain is when there's no drama. There's just benoach, just being benoach. And everyone wants to be around such a person, even Hashem. So when he destroys the whole world, he keeps Noach around. So that was the short definition of Emunah and Bitochon. Emunah is the abstract knowing there's one God. And Bitochon is taking that knowledge and putting it into everyday life. That Bitochon, I lean on Hashem, I rely on Hashem. I remember that everything that happens comes from Hashem. It's for a reason, it's for a purpose. And therefore, I don't ever get Milvubal. I find the capacity to live Bitochon. Yes? Yes. And that's what she said. Everything is up to God. You can't be angry for her husband the way he is. That's a perfect reminder for the plug. This Sunday night is the women's night out. Mm-hmm. We have an incredible speaker. It's rescheduled mm-hmm. from the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, Dini Hurwitz, whose husband has ALS, um, whose husband is paralyzed from head to toe with the exception of his eyes. I spoke about him on Yom Kippur. Yeah. And uh, he writes a weekly blog, which is amazing, just last week. He was rushed to the hospital. His airway got clogged. He wrote a blog where he describes he couldn't scream for help. He couldn't breathe. So he just thought, okay, Hashem, I guess this is it. He said Shema, and he was ready to go. But his wife stepped in miraculously again, took care of him in amazing ways. Thank God he's doing better in his home. And it was she speaking Sunday night, talking about what it's like to live with faith and that challenge. A young man, a father of so many kids, lying in bed, paralyzed head to toe. We sent out an email yesterday that has two links of videos that you have to have tissues nearby when you watch them. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to miss it. I think it's Sunday night, 7.30? 7 o'clock? 7. 7? At the Boca Raton Synagogue. Okay. Brings us up to this week. We're on page Samach Gimel. We're still on page one of your booklet, of your handout. Um, are there any other chairs? I guess Yechev is not coming, so this chair is available. It's one more chair. Come up here. Because of Arambam. Everyone see where we are in the left-hand column? The first complete paragraph in Ubo Tidbak. Stick in with God. The Rambam writes in Look how amazing, how extraordinary tshuva, the ability to come back, I'm sorry, the ability to come back, the ability to return, to recover. Look how amazing tshuva is. Emesh moved Yesterday, I was totally apart from God. Yesterday, there was a divider between me and Hashem, right? Because yesterday, I was ignoring Him. I didn't feel like davening. I was angry at him. Or I was too lazy. Or I was eating without making blessings beforehand. Or I wasn't honest in my business dealings. Or I had no interest in what he thinks how the world should be run. Emesh, yesterday, Hayam moved on Hashem. Yesterday, I was totally divorced, totally apart from Hashem. Hayom, who mudbak And yet, just a day later, if I change my mindset, if I invest myself in that relationship, a day later, it could be the most intimate, connected, romantic, loving, trusting relationship. And this is so different than the human realm. I do a lot of marriage counseling. It, in, when a marriage hits a roadblock, when a marriage has a crisis, it can, it can overcome, it can persevere. You know, a violation of trust, all kinds of, all kinds of, of things that can happen. Major, minor things that add up. It could hit a roadblock, but usually it takes time to rebuild, to make deposits in the bank account of trust. Usually it takes time. So yesterday, we were done, right? Like, Emesh, Ayazem Muvdal. Yesterday, it was done, the marriage. No interest, no romance, no love, seeing everything is negative, totally not invested, thinking there is no future. 
So you wouldn't say the next day. You would be very concerned. You would not really believe or have a lot of faith in the future of the marriage that says, yesterday we filed for divorce. Today, oh, we have the greatest marriage ever. Now, could you have that in a month, in a year, in 10 years? Absolutely. I've seen marriages that because they went through that horrific crisis, they, it revealed things that needed to be worked on and the result was a marriage better than ever. It's possible. It doesn't happen the next day. Hashem, our relationship is different. Yesterday I could be ignoring God, neglecting God, dismissing everything God wants from me. And yet through the power of tshuva, the next day, I say, wow, I have this incredible, I love Hashem, He loves me, I'm so grateful, I feel so close, He's my greatest confidant, I invest in it, I relate to Him. Hayom Because of Od, this is all the Rambam. Gedolah Look at the greatness of tshuva, that it draws a person close to God. Because as the verse says, come close to return to God. If you do tshuva, you can cling to me. All you have to do is make the effort. All you have to do is show Hashem just a little bit, just a tiny step, and Hashem meets us more than halfway. Hashem is so desperate, He longs for that relationship. Here it's like a parent. A parent so desires the closeness with the child that even if the child has alienated the parent in a lot of ways, if the child shows any gesture of remorse, I'm sorry, I want to connect, the parent more than meets them halfway. I want, I crave that relationship. The Gemara has a language that more than the baby wants to nurse, the mother wants to nurse. More than the baby wants the milk, the mother wants to provide the milk. And that's the same with Hashem. It's the same with, with leadership. So, um, so therefore, when a person wants to do tshuva, if you say, Hashem, you know, I- I'm ready. I want to make some changes. I want to feel close. I want to rely. I want your presence in my, in my life. I want to feel your strength and your support. Then that gesture of tshuva can result in devek, the glue, where Hashem says, you know what? I got your back. No problem. Devek. Stick with me. Connect with me. Stick with me. And I got your back. Yesterday you were despised by God. You were deplorable. You were repulsive. And today you're charming and sweet and lovable. Again, that, if that happened in marriage, you'd be very concerned. But with Hashem, yesterday you could be repulsive and disgusting and rejected. And today you're adorable and charming and Hashem loves you. That's all the Rambam. That's all Rambam. The Rambam is establishing a principle within the foundation of, of, of making mistakes and how we come back from them. What is chait? We've defined this a thousand times. Chait does not mean sin. Sin is a Christian term. I don't even know what the word sin means. What is the definition of chait? Miss the mark. Miss. A missed opportunity, missing the mark. If you look in Tanakh, a chait is like you have a target and you miss the target. So what is a chait? It's a missed opportunity. Every mitzvah, a positive commandment or a negative commandment where Hashem says don't do something, they're all opportunities to come close to God or to be distant from God. So that's what he says, Mashmoz chaitu Excuse me, chait means the result of a missed opportunity is, so 
you know, you ask your husband, do you mind taking the garbage out on the way out? And he says, ah, I'm carrying too much, I'm in such a Russian. No, someone else take care of it. So, that's a chait. It's a chait, it's a sin. But it's also, it's a chait, meaning, he's, he's, he's misrachik. It's not just that the garbage is still sitting there now and someone's got to do it. It's that you feel like, what? I asked you for a little help. I, I do it all the time. I do everything. Like, what do you mean? It's nesrachik. It creates a richuk. What is tshuva? He texts you five minutes later and he says, you know, I feel terrible. I'm really sorry. That was so insensitive of me. I should have taken it out. I could have taken it out. Next time I'm going to take it out. Or leave it there and I'm going to take it out when I get back. Or, so, chet is, you feel, it creates distance because you miss the opportunity. Tshuva is, you close the distance. Tshuva is, you remove the distance because you recognize and you want to, and you want to make up. And all we have to do is take a little step and Hashem meets us, Hashem meets us halfway. I'll tell you a, a corollary Dvar Torah from this week's parasha. Amazing. I love this insight. Rameer Shapiro, the founder of the Dafyomi, the Lublino Rav, I spoke about him recently too on, on Shmini Atzeres Yisker about the Beis Medrash in, in Lublin. We were there on the Poland trip. So he has a great insight. In our parasha, Hashem says to Avram, we all know the story, go outside, look up, you see all the stars? Count them. Svor, go count all the stars. Because ko yezar echa, thus ko, so will be your children. Ask Rameer Shapiro, count all the stars. That's what your children are going to be like. What are you talking about? There are billions of stars. There are billions and billions of stars. When you count them, you can't count them. It's an impossible task. And the Jewish people have never numbered billions. We've barely numbered millions. We don't break the 10 million mark. What do you mean we're going to be like the stars in the sky? It's just factually not true. It has never been true and it will never be true. And we have other prophecies that already predict that we're always going to be small in number. So what was Hashem telling Avram? Look up at the stars, count them, ko Good question, no? Listen to what he says. Avram, if I'm Avram, I go outside, I start counting and I go, Hashem, what do you want? One, two, five, a hundred. I can't count the stars. There's a billion of them. There's billions of them. What does Avram do? He starts counting. And he keeps counting. Because for Avram, he says, nothing is impossible. All I need to do is get started. One, two, five, a hundred. Because I don't focus on the impossible nature of the task. I don't focus on giving up and thinking it's hopeless. My job is just to get started. And Hashem looks at him and says, Ko That's the quality that you've implanted within your children. You are the father of a nation for whom nothing is impossible. You're the father of a nation for whom never give up. Never walk away. Never be hopeless. Never think you can't do it. Your job is just get started. Avram's job is he says, look, I, I, I don't think I can count billions. But if Hashem says count, I start counting. And that's what we inherited from him. That quality that we have is just get started. Hashem will meet us halfway and we can complete the task. How many times in Jewish history have the Jewish people... Baruch Hashem, not looked at the situation that they should have looked at as hopeless and impossible. They persevered nonetheless. This month in, no- in November, we're showing, um, what's the name of the movie? Above and Beyond. Above and Beyond. <coughs> We've showed it before, but the last living member of that original group that flew in Israel's founding Air Force is coming to speak that night. Wow. He's the last living member. So, an extraordinary person. So, I don't know if you've seen that film. If you haven't seen the movie, Above and Beyond, it's all the weekly. In the front page of the weekly now, we laid out for you the month of November so you could put everything on your calendar. We've got great programs every week, every day for you. So, 
That, I don't know if you've seen that movie. You talk about Emuna and Bitachon and Dveikus. That movie's unbelievable. They take spare parts, they put them together. There's no way they should have been able to fly. The whole, there's a thousand little pieces that never should have worked out that way, that never should have been successful. There should be no state of Israel. There should have been no Air Force. Nobody should have been scared off by it. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible film. It's absolutely impo- incredible. So these few former American pilots who said, yeah, I'll, fl- I'll risk my life and get in some jalopy of a, of, a, of a plane made out of spare parts, slapped together, and I'll fly it across the whole world and then take on armies a gazillion times bigger. They were the koyezarecha. They were the children of Avram Avinu who said, the pa- they didn't say the task is impossible. They didn't say there's no way it can be done. They didn't say it's hopeless. They said, oh, that's what you need me to do? One, two, five, a hundred. I just need to get started because Hashem needs to see us do the initiative. This is also something that we've talked about at length. Emuna and Bitachon are a crutch if they prevent you from taking hishtablas, doing initiative. There are people who say, I don't need to have ambition. I don't need to work hard in life. I don't need to try harder. Why? Hashem will provide. I put my faith in Hashem. That's as foolish as having temperature or an infection and saying, I sit on the couch, I'm not going to the doctor because... uh, Hashem gave me the, the, the flu and Hashem is going to make me better. That's not what we believe. We believe that you, you put your faith in Hashem and one of the tools He gave us is go to the doctor. We have to have initiative. We have to have ambition in life. That's that balance. We've talked about that too. What is the proper balance between emuna, bitachon, and hishtalus, effort, initiative? Too much initiative shows a lack of bitachon. So if you work 20 hours a day, because you think that the only way you could be rich is if you work 20 hours a day, then you have no faith in God. Because if God wants you to be rich, you could be rich in 8 hours a day of work, not 20 hours. So if you're neglecting your family, and neglecting your health, and neglecting your well-being, because you think that that's the only way to achieve wealth, so that's a lack of amuna. But if you work an hour a day, because you say, I just need to show a little shabbos, uh, I work an hour a day, and Hashem can make me rich in an hour a day, so then you're a fool. You have too little hishtadas, too little initiative. That's the challenge in life. We've talked about this before. What is that right balance? There's no absolute answer. To a degree, everyone has to figure it out for themselves. But what, but what is that absolute balance between the two? So hishtadas can't ever, emuna and bitachon can't ever become a crutch or an obstacle to take an initiative. You have to have faith, but you also have to take initiative. You have to find the balance between the two. But the, the legacy of Avram Avinu from this week's parsha is Koyezarecha. Says Rav Meir Lublin, says Rav Meir Shapiro, the legacy is we are a people that face the impossible and don't say, I can't do it. We say, you know what? My job is to just get started. That's my initiative. Hashem will meet me halfway. He'll finish it. And that's what the Rambam is describing about tshuva. Yesterday you're alienated, you're repulsive, you're despised, you're rejected from Hashem. And today you showed some initiative. You texted Hashem, you know what? I want to turn it around. I'm really sorry I ignored you yesterday when you asked me to do X, Y, and Z. I'm really sorry I neglected you. I really want you in my life. You send that text, literally or figuratively, to Hashem. All of a sudden, you're beloved, you're nechmad, you're charming, you're be- because show a little initiative, and nothing is impossible, including transforming our lives and reinventing ourselves. Nothing is impossible. Yes, comment. Yes. It's a really difficult thing to make such an abrupt change from day to day. If you're having a day of death and neglecting the mitzvahs, 
You may wake up the next day and say, I got to improve myself, but to do a total turnaround right. is really hard emotionally, mentally. How does it work? So there was a great debate. In the world of Musa, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was the founder of the Musa movement. And he had disciples. And his disciples broke up into three schools of Musa. Navardic, Kelm, and Slabatka. And each one was a yeshiva that, unlike the, those that preceded them, was not only focused on, certainly was focused, but was not only focused on um, learning analysis, but was focused on character development and growth. And there was an enormous debate what is the proper method of character development? So one, for example, Slobodka focused on what's called godless Adam, the greatness of man. And Slobodka's thesis, its theory was, the Pasuk says in, in, the, in the eighth chapter of Tehillim, we are just a little bit below God. God created us in his image, so the animal world is down here, and God is up here. Where does man go? He says, man is right here. We're just below God. We have incredible potential. We're godly. We have discipline and dignity and what we could accomplish and achieve. We're just below God, the greatness of man. And we will grow when we remind people of their potential for greatness. We focus on greatness. So for example, the altar of Slobodka, the Rosh Hashim of Slobodka, he didn't allow anyone into the base medrash of Slobodka if they were missing a button from their jacket. Godless Ha'adam. He had a tailor on staff to sew the buttons on the yeshiva boy's jacket. If you were schlumpy, if you looked, you couldn't come in. Who were the students of Slobodka that we know from our generation, the 20th century? Rav Hutner, Rav Ruderman, Rabbi Tights and Elizabeth, um, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the, these who-who, your grandfather, these who-who of the rabbinic world of the 20th century all studied in Slobodka under the altar. My mother, who grew up in Elizabeth and was close to this friends with the Tights family and grew up in that home, she says she never saw Rabbi Tights not looking regal, not wearing his jacket, not looking like he just came out of the dry cleaners. There just was never a shl- It was Slobodka. You radiate Slobodka. That was Slobodka. Others said, no, no, no. We don't grow by telling people how great they are. We grow by telling them how pathetic they are, how low they are. So the animal world is down there and God is up here. Where are we? We're just above the animal world. That's, the we are, that's, that's the what's Musser called. Movement. And that's the Musar of Shiflis. No, they're both Musar movements. They're both Musar movements. But Navarik and, and to a degree Kelm were more focused on Shiflis Adam. Shiflis Adam is the lowliness of man. You are pathetic. You are ins- insignificant. You are worthless. You are next to nothing. Who do you think you are so great? So in Navarik, they would have. Um, a rotation, it was considered the greatest honor to get to clean the toilets in the yeshiva. The lowliest tasks were for the best students. Because how did you grow? By constantly thinking less of yourself. In Slobodka, you grew by thinking more of yourself. In Navardic, you grew by thinking less of yourself. So they would go and they would intentionally embarrass themselves. That was part of the methodology. So you'd go into, a, um, you'd go into the bakery and you'd say, can I, can I order a hammer and nails? You'd go into the, into the hardware store and you'd ask to order some challah. Intentionally, you'd do embarrassing, stupid things to, to, to embarrass yourself, to, to realize how pathetic and lowly and your total and utter insignificance. You're, in the end of the day, you're going to be worm food. Stop thinking you're so great. Be humble. That's how you're going to grow. Who's right? Who's light? Slobodka or Navarra? Slobodka. The answer is both. 
There were students who were attracted to Slobodka, there were those who were attracted to Navardic, and I would say different generations, different Musar appeals to different people. So one of the debates that these schools of Musar had, which is why I'm going there, is how do you grow? Do you grow by taking everything on at once? Or do you grow little by little? Do you grow by saying, here are 10 things I need to change about myself. I'm going to change one at a time. This is what I'm working on now. Or do you grow by saying, all 10 things reflect one deficiency in my character. I need to change that one deficiency and I'll grow in all 10 things at once. How do you grow? It's a legitimate debate in behavioral psychology until today. I was talking to a therapist last week about a child, certain things need to happen, listed all these areas, sleeping, eating, behavior with siblings, this, this, and said, okay, so what's the theory? Everything gets worked on at once or little by little? And the therapist, the, the, the psychologist turned to me and said, let me ask you a question. When someone's trying to quit smoking, do they have one less cigarette today than they had yesterday? Or do they have to just stop smoking? So in that is similar, I, I was reminded of this exact debate in the schools of Musser, because Slobodka and Nevada Kelm, they had this exact debate, and the school that thought you gotta change everything at once said to the other school, let me ask you, if you wanna kasher your kitchen, can you say, today I'm koshering this plate, tomorrow I'll kasher that fork, the third day I'll kasher this bowl. Your, your kitchen remains non-kosher the whole time you do that. If you wanna kasher the kitchen, you gotta kasher the whole kitchen. You might make it non-kosher again, and then you gotta kasher it again. But every time you kasher it, you gotta kasher the whole kitchen at once. That's a long answer to your short question of can you change everything at once? So that's a machlokis in behavioral psychology among the schools of Musser. What's the method? Do you jump in and change everything at once? But I thought that was pretty compelling. You don't find people quitting smoking by smoking a little less today than they had yesterday. When you quit smoking, you've got a strategy to quit smoking. So there is no absolute answer, but it could go both ways. On the bottom of the left column, let's just turn the page. If we understand that the root and the core of our entire lifestyle, why do we have Torah and Mitzvahs? We have 613 commandments. We have lots of do's and lots of don'ts. We have a whole Torah lifestyle. We have a whole system of Judaism. If we understand the entire thing is a platform for either coming closer to God or being driven further away. That's the entire thing. Do this, you've taken out the garbage and Hashem loves you. Violate that, you left the garbage there. You left your plate on the table. You couldn't even wipe off the scraps. And Hashem says, obviously they don't love me much. So the entire system is there Mitzvahs are not arbitrary, they're not random, they're not chance. They are a platform to come closer to God or to be further from Him. If you understand that, says the Son of Rebbe, then you'll be mindful and contemplative before every action, before everything we say, and with everything we think. Am I giving nachas to Hashem? Am I giving nachas to Hashem? Right? The greatest marriage is the person who's mindful of that. I could give examples in parenting, marriage, friendship. I don't mean to exclude or be insensitive to anyone with any of these categories, but just as an example, in marriage, the greatest marriage is the marriage where everyone's mindful, each party's mindful of the other. If I do this, will I endear myself more to my spouse or will I alienate more myself from my spouse? If I say this, 
Will it make me feel closer to my spouse? Or will it put distance between us? Right? That's what is marriage? What is healthy marriage? If not a good dose of mindfulness with everything I say. Is this drawing us closer or is it pushing us further apart? With everything I do, is this making me more beloved? Is this making me a bigger pain in the neck? So if that's true in the human relationships, that's also true in our relationship with Hashem. Dveikas, sticking, clinging to God with glue, is a life of mindfulness of asking ourselves, am I making myself more beloved to Hashem or am I a pain in the neck to Hashem? Am I creating more love or am I creating more friction? Is this going to endear me to Him or is this going to disappoint Hashem about me? And that's all Torah and mitzvahs are our entire day interspersed with opportunities to be mindful, to be conscious and conscientious, and, and to be aware of what we're doing in a way which will result in bringing us closer to Hashem. Stop here, do a little more. 9.22. A little bit more? Okay, let's just do the next paragraph, then we'll stop. Top of the next page. Fulfilling this mitzvah of dveikas. Right, so I just oversimplified that. I oversimplified it in marriage, and I oversimplified it in a relationship with Hashem. It's hard. Why does it often not happen in marriage? This is not a marriage class, but it's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor for Hashem. Why does it not happen in marriage? Or with our children? Or with close friends? Why does it not happen? Because it's exhausting. Mindfulness is really tiring. And you feel exactly the opposite. The people I'm closest to... I should be able to let my guard down most with. I shouldn't have to measure my words. Right? In a lot of marriages, you'll hear one party say, I hate that I have to walk on eggshells around you. Why do I have to be so careful with what I say and how I say it? You take everything to, you're oversensitive. So in marriages, it becomes an obstacle a lot because we feel that this is the arena where I should have the greatest license to just uh, not have no filter, to have no filter, to just say whatever I want to say. But really, it should be the opposite. Because it's the most important and cherished and critical relationship, is the one I need to maintain the most energy to have the greatest mindfulness. Because that's where we're going to ultimately drive our energy. Because if we're in a loving, fulfilling, satisfying, happy marriage, you can have a lot of energy. And if there's friction and tension and fighting and it's depleting, then it drains you. So even though it takes energy to be mindful in the marriage, the payoff is well worth it because the closeness you feel is actually what energizes you. The same is true in the relationship with Hashem. It takes mindfulness to have kavana when you're making, to have, to have uh, concentrate when you're making a bracha, to make the bracha, to follow Jewish law, to be honest, to hold back the juicy gossip, to be mindful in all the things that we do is exhausting. And we feel like, what do you mean? If God really loves me, then why do I have to have a filter? Can't I just be and do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy? The answer is no. Because that's the other most important relationship in your life. That's where you need to save up your energy to be mindful. Because when you are mindful and you get the satisfaction of being in a loving relationship with Him, then that's where you draw your energy. When you're on fire religiously, I don't mean religiously in the negative connotation of religiously, but I mean when you're on fire spiritually, let's call it spiritually, your faith, your amun is running high. You feel his presence in your life. You love davening and talking to him. You're overwhelmed with gratitude. When you're on fire, are you ever more awake? Are you ever more alive? Are you ever more filled with energy? It's absolutely energizing. But it takes effort. It takes investment. It takes mindfulness. So the initial stage is exhausting. But the payoff is fantastic. You go to the gym, 
you do some cardio workout, you do some circuit training, it's exhausting. It's miserable. You're schwitzing. But the payoff is you have so much more energy during the day. So when do you have more energy during the day? When you're lazy and do no exercise? Or when you exercise at some point in the day, you schwitz and you're exhausted? Which one do you have more energy during the day? By far, when you exercise, you have more energy as a result. Which true physically is true spiritually, is true emotionally. It's true in our relationships with other people. It's true in our relationship with Hashem. So that's, This is the hardest thing. It's easy to shake a lulav. It's easy to hear the shofar. It's easy to make a bracha. It's easy to take challah. Those are easy. But to do it in a way that generates dveikas, to do it with mindfulness, with presence of God, to feel further connected to Him, to do it in a way where you're conscious of what the goal is, that's avodah hakasha biyoser. That's the hardest thing. But the payoff of it is incredibly energizing. The payoff of it is unbelievable. So we turn the page, but we'll stop here. We'll pick up from this first sentence. Mirza Hashem next week. Have a great day and a great week.